You could look at the probability lab on Interactive Brokers, for example, and say, what is the options market putting in for a percentage chance of a double in the price in the next one or two years? And you'd see, oh, it's only like a 20% chance according to that. This is a steal for me. I'm going to buy it. And a lot of times those options turned into zero because, you know, the inter Tesla stock, for example, was very range bound from 2013 to 2019 between like a $200 and $300 range, you know, pre-split. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Interactive Brokers Traders Insight Radio. I'm Steve Sosnick, Chief Strategist here at Interactive Brokers. My guest today is Emmett Peppers, Chairman and Co-Founder of Good Soil Investment Management, uh, an investment firm out on the West Coast. Emmett used to be a colleague of mine here at Interactive Brokers, um, working uh, as a sales representative before uh, moving on to, uh, I'm going to say, greener pastures, as it were. <laughs> um, we're going to catch up a little bit, and uh, we hope you all can learn something from his uh from his path and from his investment philosophy. And Emmett, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Thanks, Steve. And uh, you say greener pastures. I, I would say that I was very happy working at Interactive Brokers for the 12 or 13 years. That felt like green pastures to me compared to previous roles in finance. It's an incredible company. I was so grateful to have that opportunity to work there and in sales and learn so much. And so a lot of my learnings, um, you know, working with hedge fund managers, Brilliant folks, many much smarter than myself, uh, from rocket scientists to neuroscientists to mathematicians, you know, starting hedge funds, former executive partners at prestigious financial firms leaving to start their own fund. You know, these people are so brilliant and they're starting their own funds. And I'm, I'm blessed to be able to be kind of their entrance into setting up their fund with interactive brokers and hear a little bit about their strategies and such. So I really learned a lot of different varieties of investment philosophies, I would say. Uh, in that role in sales for about 10 years. And it was really great uh, experience for me. So yeah, now here I am on the other side. Uh, I've done quite well on my personal trading account to where I was able to kind of launch my own fund. And uh, that's what, where I'm at now. And it's, you know, one or two years into making and, and we'll see how it goes. One of the important things that you mentioned there is you covered a lot of hedge funds and a wide range of them. And especially being based out of San Francisco, you got a you got a different flavor than than some of the East Coast folks did because I think there there's definitely a, a more technological sensibility uh, to a lot of those to a lot of those funds and fund managers. Tell me some of the best things you you took away from them. Yeah, so you know my first half of my uh, career interactive brokers I, I was actually in the East Coast in the headquarters there, uh, but then the second half I did transfer to the West Coast and got exposure on both sides or both investment philosophy mindsets. And yeah, I took away a lot of interesting things. Um, one of the most important lessons I tell people that I've learned who ask me about it is, uh, you know, no matter how bright these people are and how smart and intelligent they are, uh, it's sort of like when you're young and you learn that Santa Claus isn't real, that like <laughs> most hedge fund managers do not succeed more than a year or two. Uh, it's sort of a lower success rate than the restaurant industry, I would say. Uh, you know, it's very hard to beat the market, um, no matter how bright someone is, no matter how much they backtest some quantitative strategy or whatnot. Uh, it, it's sort of a tough lesson that, you know, no matter 
what someone's ideas are, it's probably better just to invest in the index. <laughs> you know? And that's what I would always tell friends and family. And so uh, that was a tough pill to swallow. But over the over the years, I also kind of realized, you know, there are a few outliers that maybe I can learn lessons from and try to apply myself. And, um, you know, one or two of those lessons, you know, for example, is kind of an extreme ends is, you know, there was one client I once had, you know, early on that his fund went from like, you know, it went up like 10x in, in value in like a year. And I was like, wow, how did that happen? And you know, you talk to the fund manager and he'd explain his philosophy a little bit or what he's doing. And, uh, you know, at the time, Apple was really ripping and he was focused on Apple and he was investing in like options of, you know, Apple stock and Apple supplier stocks and options are very uh, risky, obviously, but you can really exacerbate your returns with that. So I kind of took that, filed that away in my head and I was like, wow, that was interesting. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's some clients that seem to do very well more consistently. Um, and uh, a lot of times I'd learn more about their strategy. It would be very boring. It'd just be like buy and hold a few key stocks, you know, and just hold it for years, never make a trade, never generate commission or revenue to interactive brokers even, but you'd see their account value rise, you know, 3x or 5x over five or 10 years. And be like, ah, oh, that's really good. I guess they're doing well. But, and so that's kind of boring. But so I, for my own philosophy, I'm, I'm trying to take lessons from different things. So if I felt, felt like I found like a generational company that I thought would be generational, like Tesla is my biggest conviction name. And if you can combine that with options in, a, in a, an important way, then maybe you can do well. And so I've done that a couple of times with a few few names and a few things, and it's worked out well for me. One of the takeaways there that I think people will find fascinating is that is the failure rate among hedge funds. I think people among the general population you know, equate hedge fund manager with wealth and, and for good reason, because the most successful ones are deservedly so very wealthy. But I think uh, they don't realize the, the failure yes. rate. Was there a correlation between intelligence and failure or was there a correlation between intelligence and willing to learn from mistakes? Part of me- I think it's the latter. Step the latter. Yeah. Yeah. Humility, humility, intelligence and humility is needed. You know, some people are too smart for their own good. That was my opinion, you know, and maybe I'm too smart for my own good sometimes too. You know, everyone has some of that in them, I think, but the people that were able to recognize when they're wrong quicker or, or take constructive feedback or not be the alpha male so much, you know, those people seem to have a better chance of success in my, you know, opinion, working with literally over a thousand hedge fund managers over the 10 plus years, you know, I would say, uh, so, you know, not I didn't get to know all of them very well, but I got to know many of them well enough to understand their personalities and their philosophies to some degree. So that's my takeaway is, you know, humility is probably the most important trait, I would say. I, I've always found from the trading point of view that the best traders are the ones who let their let their winners ride and keep their losses small. And the only way you do the latter is by having some humility and discipline and just saying, you know what, I thought I was right. For whatever reason, I'm not. Let me figure out why I'm not. But in the meantime, let me not lose more money in the process, and let's move on to the next thing. I'm glad you. I'm glad you see that because I think that's something very important for people to to take away. Yeah. There's one thing very unique about the way your fund is structured. Um, I, I won't even say what it is. Why don't you? Why don't you explain it? I mean, this came about during my, this idea sort of came about during the, the COVID crisis. You know, my personal account uh, profited wildly off of uh, the COVID crash. I was hedged with put options at the time. And it didn't feel good making money when you weren't sure what was going on with the world. You know, I'll tell you that it felt like, 
felt very tough. Like on one hand, yeah, my portfolio is doing well and surviving and, and doing well, but the world is crashing maybe. And who knows how much of the population this virus could destroy or kill. We don't, we didn't really know back in early 2020. And uh, so I really had to do some, you know, a deep dive on myself because my net worth jumped, you know, an order of magnitude or two where now I had more money for myself and my family than I needed. You know, in the past, I had an idea of getting to a certain level to start a hedge fund because that's what I was servicing. I wanted to start a hedge fund to make more money. But now my net worth jumped like two levels. And I was like, well, I don't really need to start a hedge fund to make more money. I have enough money for myself and my family. What can I do? And so I had to really do some deep digging. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, it was actually, you know, I was doing like a men's Bible study for my church and, you know, and we were looking at one of the, uh, um, passages and it was, uh, the, the parable of the sower. And part of it just struck me one night and it was like this, this, the seed that falls on the good soil has 30, 50 or hundred times return. And I was like, wow, that's like my investment strategy or my investment performance on certain years. It has like just these wild returns. I had it in like 2013, 2014, again in 2020. And so, um, you know, that just hit me. And I thought, you know, if I do have some unique skill, God given to generate incredible returns from time to time, maybe I don't, but maybe I do. I don't know. Then instead of just using it to further my own personal family wealth, I should do something good with it. Um, and the idea of uh, giving back uh, to charity also came to mind because I've always been concerned about capitalism being under fire from socialism. And uh, so I thought, you know, maybe I can help change the perception of capitalism and set up a fund where I write in the prospectus that half of the management fees and half the performance fees net of expenses goes back to charity. So I'd write it as like a law in the prospectus, try to be a good example to evolve capitalism and so, yeah, that's how, what we've done. And my partner, Matt, and I, that's what really wakes us up and keeps us going more than just making money for ourselves and investors. We want to succeed to be like a good example for stewarding capitalism and evolving it to where it's more acceptable to the younger generation and not seen as like, you know, hedge fund managers being the greediest of greedy pigs, you know, and like trying to vote in Bernie Sanders or whatnot. I don't want to get too political, but there, there needs to be a change. I feel like one of the biggest threats to our civilization is is uh, diverting away from capitalism too much. And when you can just evolve it to maybe help make the most successful capitalist people be more focused on giving back. So there's a better perception of how successful capitalism can really be for everyone. Well, I, I don't think that I don't think that having a having a conscience or, so, you know, social social mindset is is incompatible with capitalism. I think I think and I think what you're doing is um, one way to recognize that. And I, and I think um, I think you should be applauded for that. Rightfully so. Um, so let's take it a little bit. Let's take it a little bit further. You you, you acknowledge that you've had tremendous success and we we just to keep the compliance people happy, sure. let's not talk absolute returns mm -hmm. because um, th that gets us into trouble. Um, but you've had you've had very good success um, taking taking risk. Yes. Um, how how do you mitigate risks on behalf of your customers? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a couple things. Uh, first. Um, you know, for myself and for any of investors or customers who are 
giving us some of their uh, wealth to manage, we make sure it's no more than 10% of someone's net worth that they're investing. And because it's very risky, it goes up or down, you know, 10% a day or 50% plus a month, sometimes, you know, the fund, it's meant to be the risky portion of someone's wealth. And so for those that follow me on social media or whatnot, and I've advocated many times that like, hey, you know, this type of investing style with options, you know, maybe only use a small basket of your savings that you set aside for this only and make sure it doesn't interfere with your retirement savings. Almost like when you go to the casino, you might go and say, I'm going to bring a thousand bucks to the casino that I'm going to, I'm, I'm willing to lose on blackjack and other things, but maybe I'll do well, who knows, you know, so it's sort of like that, but you know, you're not going to go more than a thousand dollars into, into the money at the casino with, you know, so that's sort of how I think about the risk of the fund in some ways. But uh, on, the, on another side of the risk is the interactive progress technologies is incredible. It, it helps us analyze our risk uh, using a number of the tools. But the real-time margin calculations with interactive brokers is great because we can see how close we are to using all of our excess liquidity or if we're getting close to a margin deficit, we can see tick by tick with the market. Like, all right, it's time we need to uh, close a few positions before we get into a margin deficit or whatnot. Um, and there's lots of tools that we use that are very helpful. I can go into more detail in later too. You might as well go into it now. There's no time like the present, please. Cause I think, <laughs> I think some of the, I think the listeners yeah. would benefit from hearing the real world application of a lot of the, the tools that are on, that are on the platform. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I've had the benefit of working at Interactive Brokers for 13 years prior to this, so I have a lot of experience using the technology and, and such, but I mean, there's still a lot of the technology I don't use or I don't fully understand. There's just a breadth of library of tools. And if you could, you know, the couple of the tools I really like is for our investment philosophy, for example, I really like the probability lab, the options probability lab, because a lot of our investment philosophy is trying to look for like asymmetric return opportunities where, you know, it's sort of like maybe a binary outcome on a stock. Like, you know, five years ago, you could view Tesla as a binary outcome stock. Like it's either going to go bankrupt or it's going to be wildly successful and be 10 times bigger than it was then, you know? And so if you use the options for like two year out option, you know, if you use, if you use, you know, leaps options, long-term options for that at the time, you could look at the probability lab on interactive brokers, for example, and say, what is the options market putting in for a percentage chance of a double in the price in the next one or two years? And you'd see, oh, it's only like a 20% chance according to that. This is a steal for me. I'm going to buy it. And a lot of times those options turned into zero because, you know, the Tesla stock, for example, was very range bound from 2013 to 2019 between like a 200 and $300 range, you know, pre-split. And so I lost out, but I made sure I survived enough to keep doing it over and over. And sure enough, in 2019, it exploded and took off, for example. And and so there's other stocks, maybe if you can identify that you think are binary, you know, another name we talk about often is Lemonade and it's like an insure tech play. It's a tiny market cap right now. But, you know, if it disrupts the insurance industry, you know, the total adjustable market is huge, you know, so that's another kind of like binary outcome. And maybe you think it's only a 20 percent chance that that happens. But if that 20 percent chance happens, maybe you project, oh, it'll be a 10 times bigger stock in two or four years, you know. And so you look at the options probability lab and you could say, oh, market's only pricing it to double in two years at like. 5% chance. Oh, so those are the types of investment decisions that helps me inform uh, inform me on is the probability lab, some examples. Um, and you can do it for shorter term things, whether it's you think the S&P inclusion of a stock is going to make it hit higher than it normally would otherwise, for example. There's also the risk navigator, um, which is a tremendous tool for risk, you know, and, and just analyzing your portfolio. So, you know, I use the risk navigator frequently. 
because if I'm looking at the probability lab and picking some some options I'm thinking of, then I can use the risk navigator to to put in like a custom scenario, uh, it's called, and you can customize, you know, a hypothetical portfolio and say, okay, if I put these options contracts on in a, in a hypothetical portfolio, and then I customize it to be like, it, you know, six months later and the price of the underlying goes up 20%, what are those options worth at that time? And people have spreadsheets that do something similar. You can create that spreadsheet, but it's very manual to do that. The risk navigator, you just kind of plug and play. If you know where to click, it's very efficient to use. It's very helpful to inform me. And then you also have like delta dollars that the risk navigator shows as part of it. And you can also pull up a column in your trading uh, in the trader workstation that shows your delta dollars exposure, which is easy versus looking at third-party reports to reference, you know, all the time. So I just love the technology. You know, it sounds like I'm a commercial, but in some ways we could argue that 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 you may be the more effective salesman now that you're not here because yeah. <laughs> because yeah. because you're using it in action. You know that yeah. you've alluded to a couple of things that I that I find fascinating. I've yet to find anyone who uses all the tools. It's impossible. <laughs> and, and we know it. And you yeah. know it. You've known it from yeah. years. But but the yeah. point is, you know, it's meant to be it's meant to be something usable for all different people. You're not going to use some of the fixed income tools because that's not what you do. On the other hand, um, you know, Risk Navigator has applications to everyone. Probability Lab is very option specific. I use it all the time. I've used it in several pieces that I that I write. Around earnings, because it's what is what are the what are the markets telling you the most likely outcomes are? For those of you who've never used the probability lab or who aren't familiar with it, basically what it's doing is it's taking it, it's taking the area under the curve, so to speak. You know, as you price out options, there's a range of probability from zero to 100, and so any any outcome within the strike space has some probability. The question is, depending on the implied volatility of those options vis-a-vis -vis the strike space, there's an, there's an implication as to whether the market is, is viewing things favorably, unfavorably, see whether the tails are, are fat or thin, so to speak. And so I'll use it a lot of times to say, you know, there's this hump in the curve, five or 10% above the market, you know, traders are, traders are bullish or, or vice versa. There's a, there's a hump five or 10% below the market. The, you know, the, 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 the the highest probability is for a downward outcome. And, and the way you were expressing it was, okay, the market, you, you have a very different probability for, for a true upside um, surprise. Well, not surprising to you, surprising to the market, but for a true upside event um, that the market is underpricing. That, I, I find it a very powerful tool um, as well. And, 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 but it's interesting that we, that we use it in largely completely different ways. You're looking at, you're looking at leaps and, and I'm, I'm using it to help, uh, to help our customers understand what, what event might be, how an event might be interpreted by the market, you know, two days from now kind of thing. Sometimes I often use it for, you know, smaller, smaller duration options as well. Like a good analogy I like to explain to people is, you know, in the past I used to be a big better on sports like NFL football games, you know, and I was a huge New York Giants fan, you know, and I, you know, I'd, I'd follow all the NFL teams, fantasy football. I, I felt like I knew the sport very well where, I, you know, I would bet sometimes on the games or every week I would bet some amount of money. And um, before I would make my bets, you know, if I was following the Giants and they were playing the Eagles, you know, in Philadelphia, I'd do my own math. I'd be like, oh, I think the Giants are 
should be favored by three points here. And then if I look at the, then I would look at the Vegas odds maker. And if the Vegas odds maker showed Philadelphia favored by three points, I'd be like, oh, this is a win. I'm gonna just bet the money line for the Giants to win. And and then I'd put the money down, and that's how I would make my bets. The things that I felt were mispriced in the market of Vegas odds makers, similar to the options. If if you think, you know, a stock, uh, whether it's interactive broker stock or some other stock, you know, or the index S and P 500 is gonna go up you know, 10% between now and the end of the year, then you can look at the probability lab uh, and say, what what are the odds makers, basically? What's the market pricing that percentage move to be? And if you think it's mispriced versus what your intuition is saying, then, you know, why not take a little bit of a risk or gamble with that portion of money that you're kind of you'd be more risky with to see if you're right or not? You know, you can calibrate your own kind of instincts over time based on feedback of your performance. So just getting a more getting a bit more high high level in, in your thinking here, you tend to be looking for companies that you believe are transformative. Um, yes. How often do you see those coming around? I mean, there's so many companies. I can't study them all. I get so pitched so many ideas now. I'm sort of like a mini celebrity in the Tesla Twitterverse or whatever. And there's so many other stocks people are trying to pitch you and tell you to look at and advocate for, and ob- obviously... And uh, my partner, Matt, and I, you know, we, we have limited bandwidth of time to really research companies and industries. So we've come to, you know, there's lots of stocks we research a bit and we're like, ah, this could be a good investment, but we don't really understand the industry well enough to really know. Or, you know, we think it could do well, but it's not going to, you know, the market cap isn't going to go up, you know, five times from where it is now. You know, you have to look at the total addressable market. Everyone knows who SpaceX is, right? It's like valued on the private markets at like 100 billion, right? And then you had these space SPACs kind of come about and, you know, they kind of went crazy along with all the other SPACs. But Rocket Lab, we felt like, you know, was one of the only w- w- companies that had legitimate technology going to l- lower Earth orbit. Like none of the other space companies knew how to get to lower Earth orbit except for Rocket Lab. And we just researched the industry as sort of a byproduct of really sort of being fascinated with SpaceX, being a huge Elon and Tesla fan. And we came to the conclusion that Rocket Lab, you know, we thought is a legitimate second place to Tesla, to SpaceX in the space. We, you know, we're not saying it's ever going to overtake SpaceX. But if if the first place to the space industry is SpaceX at 100 billion plus market cap, what should the second place be valued at? And currently it was like four or five billion market cap when we first, first started investing. And so we were thought that was a good, a good, uh, and we, we've since, you know, analyzed the total adjustable markets really growing and evolving fast over this decade, we think, and we've talked to a number of industry experts to further our conviction. So we really dive as deep as we can on the industry and the competitors and try to figure out, you know, we're always looking for ways to falsify our thesis. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we do like, you know, there's other stocks like Square. Now it's called uh, Block, I guess, you know. So we were a big investor in Square and early on, and, and it did very well. And at a certain point, even though the company, we still liked it, we just thought the upside further wasn't as enough. And we closed it out, luckily, near the highs. And, you know, those are trades we did well on. But we've also failed on trades. We've tried to buy, you know, puts on Nikola multiple times, and they've been very expensive, and we mistimed it. And, you know, we lost on that. You know, so there's, there's trades we, you know, sometimes we're right but in the duration with the options, we're, we're wrong. Any every every option trader has his stories of of being being too early, being you know too early in the thesis and having and you know I, I could go back several plenty of occasions of you know I bought a bought a put or a call and watched you know watched it expire and then to you yeah know, you remember three all those later, right the it's event funny. happened or whatever you know everybody but that's but yeah. that's how you have to learn is you know you have to you have yeah. to be cognizant of this. We're, we, we have kind of used a lot of the time available to us. 
I, I, I guess just the final comment would be how, since you, you mentioned how you manage the risks, you know, that you don't want to take too much of the customer, you know, you don't want to take too much of an individual customer's money, et cetera, et cetera, vis-a-vis -vis his net assets. How are you managing, besides using risk manager, how do you ensure that you, that the risks that you take don't come back and bite you? Drawdowns can be a killer. Yeah. How do you mitigate against that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we're, we're focused on disruptive tech growth stocks, as you mentioned, as we alluded to earlier. And in the early part of uh, 2022, it's been a real hard time for us. And we had some really painful days and uh, experienced some of that firsthand. Luckily, uh, we do have, you know, some short positions on on stocks that we think are more story stocks. And um, we also hedge occasionally with index puts if we think there's a macroeconomic risk, you know, at the start of the uh, Russia-Ukraine invasion, you know, we just, there was just a lot of uncertainty uh, and we bought some kind of medium-term, short-term puts. They were very expensive, but we bought some and uh, we closed them out later for sort of even money after the market had gone down just because they were expensive and they, they were kind of shorter duration uh, out of the money. But, you know, we, we just don't know, like there's certain uncertainties out there, geopolitical events, you know, like is a nuclear tactical nuclear weapon going to go off you know who knows and that would it would be horrible for the world but you know we have to protect our our portfolios as well to some degree and so mo most likely it's not going to happen but in the one percent chance or five percent chance it happens we want to be sort of ready for you know the worst case scenarios if we can Emmett, thank you we, we've covered a lot of ground i'm going to leave it here I really appreciated our conversation i urge um i urge our listeners if you've liked it find and follow Emmett on social media um, he's quite visible. And um, I, I can't specifically say look for his fund because it's a hedge fund. And so there are rules against me saying that sort of thing. But is there anything, any final, any final thoughts you want to? Yeah. I mean, folks can go to our website, goodsoilinvestment.com. Uh, we are technically a 506C fund, which means we can market our performance to the public. But just go to our website if you're interested to look at that. Um, maybe I'll be one of the restaurants that fails miserably, or maybe I'll be be one that succeeds and can set a good example to have more uh, fund managers uh, maybe apportion some of their fees to charity too in the future. That would be that would be wonderful. Thanks everybody for listening. Again, I've been talking with Emmett Peppers, chairman and co-founder of Good Soil Investment Management, and you've been listening to Interactive Brokers Traders Insight Radio. I hope you enjoyed this and we look forward to having you tune in again soon. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Trading on margin is only for sophisticated investors with high risk tolerance. You may lose more than your initial investment. For additional information regarding margin loan rates, see ibkr.com forward slash interest. Please note that the testimonial provided in this interview does not reflect the experience of all users of the Probability Lab and Risk Navigator tool. In addition, this testimonial is not to be misconstrued as any guarantee or promise of future performance or success through use of the Probability Lab or Risk Navigator tool.
The projections or other information generated by the Probability Lab tool regarding the likelihood of various investment outcomes are hypothetical in nature, do not reflect actual investment results, and are not guarantees of future results. Please note that results may vary with use of the tool over time. The projections or other information generated by the Risk Navigator tool regarding the likelihood of various investment outcomes are hypothetical in nature, do not reflect actual investment results, and are not guarantees of future results. Please note that results may vary with use of the tool over time. Hedge funds are highly speculative and investors may lose their entire investment.